The Monday Rewind. Sitting in there and having somebody else being able to control the destiny, I didn't enjoy that, but boy, I mean, I, I'm just in shock that, that I'm the one holding the trophy right now. I thought that once the first putt missed, I, you know, we're playing tomorrow. I really feel for Dustin. I feel for him. Rory's got to step up to the plate. The bottom line is he's made too much ground he's had to, he's had to make up on. Um, he's, he's made a mistake of, of getting off the slow starts in the last two majors, and ultimately Jordan has run to victory on both occasions. So he's putting it up to Rory, and that can only be good for Rory. Plays it inside, Jordan Arrowwood is on a hat-trick, flicks it over the goalkeeper, into the back of the net. This is turning into a massacre. Two ways you can go, you can lay down and die now, or you can come back with a bit of fight and... Hopefully our fellas will do that. The ref blows a full-time whistle and Sligo have caused a shock. They have beaten Roscommon. We worked very hard. The clubs and county board worked very well with us as well. It worked well today. And we, we have a good bit of experience and youth there as well. So I think that helped the younger fellas today, you know. Nico Dwyer, he used to always say, if you win a, a league and if you win a, get a cup, and uh, we have two cups, even though we did put them into the bag and did hide them and did put them away, I think it's softened our, our approach maybe somewhat, even though we try to protect that. This is the Rewind on News Talk. In there you heard from Wexford boss Liam Dunn on their defeat to Kilkenny. Sligo manager Niall Carew and their win over Roscommon. And you heard from Rossi's boss John Evans on their surprise defeat. Also, there was US Open winner and world number two Jordan Spieth, along with Paul McGinley on how Rory McIlroy might now be looking over his shoulder breathing down his neck for that number one spot coming up Brian Cody and more from a disappointed Liam Dunn on a heavy defeat they'll face Cork at home in the qualifiers on July 4th we'll also have more on the weekend's football and Oshin McConville will look ahead to next Saturday's Ulster semi-final between Derry and Donegal and the Leinster semi-final between Dublin and Kildare this Sunday in Crow Park. Ahead of their qualifier with Wicklow, we ask if Armagh can shake off their Donegal display and go on a backdoor run. McConville providing the answers for us. The round one hurling qualifier draw involving the eight teams beaten in the Munster and Leinster quarter and semi-finals has been made. As you've already heard, Wexford host Cork and Wexford Park. Leash welcome Dublin to Port Leash. Clare host Offaly and Westmead host Limerick. Cork's Shawnee McGrath gave his reaction to Red FM after a tough draw for the Rebels. Yeah, home advantage in, in these ties is huge. I mean, obviously, um, Wexford Park is much smaller maybe than Parky Keith. It's much tighter. We've played a few times in league games and, you know, you get a huge Wexford crowd, I'd imagine, going in there to try and create that sort of 16th man if you want. Um, so it's going to be hard, yeah. We've, but, we, but we've been preparing well the last couple, last week. Obviously, the Waterford defeat was very disappointing, but we've prepared well the last week and we've everyone back in now Tuesday night after the club championship so we're going to give it a right rattle we'd like to think we're still a decent side you know got to the final in 2013 and you know won a great Munster final um, last year so we'd like to think we, we have the bones of, of, of good players and that there's one or two additions have come in as well in the last 12 months that have helped and you know the injury front has cleared up a bit as well Lorcan is looking okay and Seamus Henry is looking okay so we'd be hoping that they'd be additions as well into the Wexford game um, and we will we, we leave no stone in turn Rory we still feel that we have a chance of making an impact in this championship yet more on all of that to come in round 2A of the football qualifiers Antrim will travel to Fermanagh Offaly host Dublin or Kildare Clare take on Longford and Ennis and Cavan host Roscommon those fixtures will take place on the weekend of July 4th we'll have more football in a while also we'll talk golf and Andy Lee he will fight in Thoman Park this September where he'll defend his world title. First though, it's the Munster Hurling Championship and before we get the analysis of two-time All-Ireland winner with Tip Owen Kelly and ex-All-Star with Galway, Ollie Canning, let's hear from Tip boss Eamon O'Shea and Limerick manager TJ Ryan 
following the Premier's 4-23 to 1-16 win in the Munster semi-final at the Gaelic grounds. We're slow to start, you know, but at the same time, you know, I thought we were okay. Uh, I thought we were committed, uh, you know, knew what was going on. Even when we were even when under a bit of pressure, I thought the team in the second half there, when the Limericks are coming back, and we expected they would, you know, because they had to have dominance as well. These these teams, is very little separates the two teams, to be honest with you, this, this level. No, I didn't play well enough early on, and found ourselves in six points down at half-time, playing with the wind in the first half, so would have been very disappointed. Uh, started the second half quite well. Got back to almost level, and um, obviously they, I mean, we, we probably had a chance to make it level, and then I mean, Florence has four points down again. Like when you cough up goals, suicidal Tipperary, you're going to pay the price. Yeah, second goal was particularly disappointing. though like as I said, we started the game reasonably well, got three points in it up, and you know, then you can see the goal, and you know, and just it, 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 it just gave them a platform to build on, and kind of gave them a bit of confidence. Like we were looking to kind of maybe build on that early three-point lead, and obviously we needed to be in front at halftime, and we weren't. No, it's not over. We wrote to the Munster Championship, so we got to go and regroup and kick on and review that. That's a pretty bad beating in the finish. We shipped a lot of scores and you know, we shipped a few goals and stuff like But, yeah, that's the job now is to go and basically pick it up and go after these. At half-time, what do you say? Because it came out uh, team-possessed at the start. Yeah, we, 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 we knew the aggression and the intensity wasn't there in the first half, so we knew we had to go after it. And, you know, I mean, we upped the ante in the second half. and I, mean, I thought for the first 15, 16 minutes in the second half, we played extremely well. We played kind of the way Limerick should be playing. And like, after that... You know, as I said before, it's four points down again. Difficult position, I and mean, when you cough up goals, as I said, you're going to pay the price. I was surprised with the, the level of how sharp they were coming in the first day back uh, with Limerick. Um, you know, having the first having the game under under their belt, but you can see the spread of scores. We said it, you know, before maybe enjoying the game. They have yeah. a number of finishers on the team. Jason Ford, there, one three. I mean, he'll 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 get a lot of confidence from today's performance. Patrick Maher, who I, I thought Bonner, he's had more effective games, but still finished with three points to his name. Uh, John O'Dwyer again seven from play. I mean, phenomenal shooting, and, and as you said, four eighteen from play is an unbelievable return from a forward line. Yeah, and Seamus Callanan with two five on. Yeah, look, he's bringing his form from last year right through this year again. And no, look, all Seamus Callanan needed was responsibility uh, thrown his way. And it, that was thrown his way last year by manning the attack, responsibility of the free taking duties. And he's, you know, he's really one of Eamon O'Shea's key men. Like, but look, him and Bob is in the full forward line. If they see enough of the ball, like, it's, uh, it's going to be score after score. And you even have the option of putting Bonner inside as well because when he gets the ball, he's a terrier as well. He puts the head down and goes for the goal and that, you know. But, you know, look, Limerick will look back at the game and they'll say after half time, you know, they had about eight or ten minutes when they had chances to put the scores on the board. They were back to within three points and back then they, they went kamikaze style. What, back to within three points and had three chances. If they didn't have three chances, you know, they, they might have an excuse. But they, they had three chances and didn't convert any of them. And, uh, you know, at this level, you know, you need, when your chances come, you need to take them. And, um, you know, it, it's a setback to, back to them now to be beaten by 16 points in their home ground when their supporters were really hyped up yeah. for this game, you know. But um, Actually, do you know, I speak I speak wrongly. They were back to within two points, and then there was the Callanan free, you might remember. And then directly off the Callanan free, there was the short puck out, O'Mahony, and it fell to Callanan again, and it went to a four-point game. Like if you're a man, if you're TJ Ryan watching that, if you're the Limerick Fours watching that, you're just holding your head in your hands. Oh, definitely. You know, look, they, they won't look back at this game with fond memories. You know, but they, they have a few things to work on. All right, you know, but um, I think Seamus Callan, you mentioned him there, getting those few frees. Yeah. But even the mentality of of Seamus and of the Tipperary players and team today was the challenge even on the keeper. Like you know, he he went in. It was kind of a lost cause keeper had it, but he went in hard and you know he came off uh, second best. But you know, I see him there when he came out after getting stitched or whatever. 
only way he was patched up he was running down to the sideline here to get back into the action so you know I think uh, Ollie mentioned it there Eamon O'Shea really had his, his team tuned the, the right way today I fancied whoever won today's game I think fancied to get over the line obviously his tip you know but we'll say Waterford now throw the new challenge of the, the way they play the way they set up at the back and that you know but Tip will have, have haven't played them nine weeks ago you'd hope will have learned lessons from it they obviously learned lessons from last year's game against Limerick uh, with Limerick going deep today the way they played so I think you'll see probably Tip um, you know go short that day as well a lot like you know but then Derek McGrath will have seen Tip how they set up today so yeah, he was there in the crowd today I'm sure he was yeah so you know it's going to be very interesting um, again because he'd probably try and throw something different at, at Tip even though he, he seems to play the, the, the system week in week out like but you know Tip will have to, to counteract that but you know the likes of Seamus Cannon and Bubbles who are lethal inside today for me they can be more, even more lethal outside because they can score from your, your 60, 70 yards like you see Bubbles today if he gets the ball in his hand it's just one jink and it's over the bar yeah. so you know, it's um, it's going to be a nice run in there now, and Tip's confidence will be high. Like, but look, Waterford are the farm team of the year, so you're going to have a massive monster final. And it, it'll probably be in simple stadium. I'd say Pocket Creeve is, is out of action, so you know, you'd think that would probably be another advantage to Tip going forward. This is the rewind on News Talk, and that was the off the ball analysis team of Owen Kelly and Ollie Canning, along with the managers Eamon O'Shea and TJ Ryan, following Limerick's defeat to Tip yesterday. Earlier in the day, Kilkenny beat Wexford 5.25 to 16 points in Nolan Park. After the game, managers Brian Cody and Liam Dunn spoke to Off The Ball's matchday commentator, Dave McIntyre. I thought we prepared really well, but obviously we didn't, you know, we, we missed something somewhere. So it's hugely disappointing, like, you know, and you know, there's no better team to put you to the sword than Kilkenny when they get goal chances and put you away. Like, so, you know, they were by far the superior team. The game was well over after, you know, 15 minutes of the second half the game was well gone you know so um, it was damage limitations after that you know Kilkenny could have scored another 3 or 4 goals but look at we have as I said earlier we'll, we'll come again Losing is one thing I suppose Liam but Kilkenny got 7 points in the last 5 minutes it did look like Wexford mentally had checked out long before the full time muscle is that as, as big a disappointment as actually losing the game? I would it was usually disappointing there you know Mark was poking out the ball and Kilkenny guys were catching them without him even being contested you know, and that's that's an aspect of the game. Just you know, just not good enough, and you know, no better team than Kilkenny to put you to the sword. So how do you turn that around then, knowing that physically you were clearly beaten and skill levels you were beaten, but that the mental resolve of your teams didn't appear to be there? I mean, is that a bigger task for you to try and turn around ahead of the qualifiers? Look at Kilkenny have done that to many teams. You know, no better team, and sure, look at. Dublin are in the same boat as ourselves after Galway and you know teams are you know look at Leash yesterday against Galway as well so look at we're, we're getting into the same boat as those teams and we'll see who will come out with in the best shape in, in two weeks time just, just to be clear with you on the back, will you be looking to have a conversation with him in the next few days or does he need to come to you or I'll give you his number you can ring him yourself ask him the same question but this isn't a long-term thing, is it? Is it a short-term thing or is it uh, a, a seasonal thing? Is there a good chance we'll have to wait till next year to see Jack? Well, I tell you, if we don't perform in two weeks' time, our season is over. So, look at all I'll say is the GA are there, you know, we're talking about alcohol bans and sponsorship and the whole works and all. And, and then you players from other counties and they make rules. And if a player breaks a rule, then, you know people are supporting the player that breaks the rules I don't make rules I've never made rules 
um, we set standards um, it's up to a guy to do whatever he wants to do but you know you're expecting 32 or 33 or 34 guys in a panel you know to row in the one way behind you so guys of choice and look at their amateur players if a guy wants to do it he wants to do it and if he doesn't he doesn't and then he moves apart aside and lets somebody else to do it really you know so um, as I said I want my best players available to me at all times but no one man is bigger than the team yeah, I mean we had a good win in the end obviously you know but it's about not just about the end it's about the whole game and that you know and you know it was, was competitive there for a good while right through the first half you know they had a couple of chances that were they were just very, very close in that, you know. But, you know, it was our first game for a long time and we came into the game and we were um, obviously not too sure exactly how we, how we would go on that. And we were very, very conscious of Wexford had played last year. But look, at the display was good. Um, the display was decent, yeah. And it gets us to a, into a final in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, we were speaking to JJ Delaney yesterday on Off the Ball and he said, no matter how much training you do, no matter how confident you are and what your players can do, you don't really know until maybe 15 minutes on the clock and the first championship match that you played in the summer. Well, I guess if you'd any doubts, they were dispelled pretty early. Oh, yeah, I mean, we obviously the goals early on. The goals in the first half were key to it. We played against a strong wind and, you know, we got some goals. And that, that's a huge help to us, you know. Like I said, they could have had a few as well. But that's the way it went. And, you know, I mean, hurling goals like that, you might be leading by seven or eight points and suddenly the game kind of goes on and suddenly scoring becomes a lot easier and that. So it's not a true reflection of the of the levels of, of ability on both teams or even of the way the game was. We pulled out very, very comfortably in the end on the scoreboard. But... You know, the power if you took away the last 10 minutes and that, it, it, was, it was much more competitive. One start we threw out before throwing was that uh, of all the players that left, the sick guys, they left the panel, 48 All-Ireland medals. That's an awful lot of experience. I'll be only one of them actually started the drawn and the replay against Tipperary in the All-Ireland final last year. But a lot of the guys are stepping up. Richie Hogan, Hurl of the Year, TJ Reid and some new faces in as well. I think you gave championship debuts to three different guys in the last 10 minutes. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's what's required. It's a team we have. Like, you know, it's not about players or the players who would be considered to be the the top players and that's about everybody going out there and you know and really just working for the team like I mean that's and that's what the, 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 the players you've spoken about have done all, all their careers so it's up to the other players now who are still here to do the same, very same thing That's the first match of your 17th championship campaign the hunger doesn't seem to be dwindling at all I Look I mean that's, that's what you have to have really you know and I mean it's, it's easy to have hunger you know but it's, it's um just uh, we're in the Leinster final, that's where we are, so we prepare for that now. If you know Wexford as well as many other managers, you face them so often. Was that a true reflection of where Wexford are at at the moment? Do you think they can hurt one of the bigger fish in this qualifier pond in the weeks to come? We're looking forward to playing Wexford in the qualifiers. Yeah, Wexford proved themselves last year of their, of their quality. I mean, they played the All-Ireland Champions twice, beat them. And everybody sees what Waterford are doing this year. They play, beat Waterford as well, beat Dublin. So, I mean, Wexford are, 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 are they, they got a bit of a knockback today, but they'll, they'll, they will um, work on that. They're, they're young players that have great, great drive, great spirit, and, they, and they, they will be a serious opposition for anybody. Finally, Lockhorns with Galway again now in the Leinster final. How much are you looking forward to that? Two big games against them last year. That drawn game was, was one of the games of the summer in Tullamore. Yeah, well, I think everybody will have seen Galway play the last two matches. They were absolutely outstanding, you know, and racking up massive scores, you know. So look at it, it's going to be a huge battle next year. So we a game like, I mean, ourselves and Galway know each other very, very well, and it's going to be one more of a. Of a, a well, it has been an awful lot of very, very good games. This is the Rewind on News Talk. I'm Oisín Langan. That was Brian Cody and Liam Dunn on Kilkenny's battering of Wexford. Kilkenny go on to meet Galway in the final on July 5th. The Tribesmen with a solid 3.28 to 1.14 win over Leash on Saturday. That despite an average enough start by the Connacht men. Leash, by the way, welcome Dublin in the qualifiers the weekend after next. You can contact us on that or any other sporting matter, by the way, on Monday Rewind at News Talk. Now still to come we talk US Open Golf and 
boxing Andy Lee will defend his world title at Thoman Park first though it's football and we'll hear from Oshin McConville ahead of next weekend's provincial semi-finals but before that let's hear from yesterday's Ulster semi-final at Kingspan Breffney Park between Monaghan and Fermanagh 120 to 13 points the final score Monaghan winning of course now after the game we spoke with Farney County Manager Maliki O'Rourke about the victory uh, but also about a tough week for them Thomas Connolly who was part of the panel earlier in the season received a two-year ban for taking a banned substance. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But first, what did he make of the performance and their sluggish enough start? We, we still felt that we need to have a wee bit more urgency. We need to be moving the ball quicker. Our decision-making need to be better. So there's a lot of things we need to improve on the second half. And uh, I suppose, by and large, we did that. There was a couple of times in the game when we, we were able to stretch into a, a bigger lead but for man and fairness them all us came back and it never made it comfortable I suppose in the last 10 minutes when there was a wee bit more space uh, left up in, in, in the in the forward line we were able to exploit that and especially with, with uh, Ryan being sent off it, it, it just uh, allowed us to kill off the game and you, you can kind of finish with your best team as well Dick Clark and Stephen Gladley Paul Finlay all coming on to kind of help you see out the game yeah well there's a lot of experienced fellas you know and the, the other subs we brought on before that did well as well so it is it's very much using all the, all the resources you have at your disposal to, uh, to try and get the best team effort you know and all the boys know that that it's, it's uh, different fellas will be be uh, used on, at different stages of the game different fellas will start on different days and so on and it's just trying to get the mix right and uh, you know, um, the fellas came in, there's, there's no doubt the fellas who came in there made, made a big impact and, and, and helped us get over the line. Was it a tough week? Was there dis- distraction to the guys given what happened to Thomas Connolly, the two-year ban? Yeah, it, 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 it was. It was a, a, a bit of a distraction, all right, you know, but not, not really to the, to the boys. It, it's just more... I suppose it's hard on Thomas himself and the family, you know. And as I said earlier on, there's, a, there's a, an awful human cost to this that some people don't see from the outside. And Thomas just was, was unfortunate. It was, it was something he didn't know unintentionally took, and, and he's paid a big price for it. But uh, look at he's got a strong family around him, and uh, you know, hopefully that'll help him at this time. Is there lessons to be learned for both players themselves and maybe management as well? Because one of the things that came out from the judgment was that there wasn't like a clear defined list given to players as to what they could take and what they couldn't there's no doubt it was one of the big areas that, that, that we were very strong on that we felt that uh, there wasn't the education at the minute isn't isn't good enough I don't know who's to blame for that but certainly you know Thomas got absolutely no education with regards to what he could take what he couldn't take uh, and uh, I think that's an area that, that needs to be addressed big time Is that something uh, that you need to address or is that something that needs to be addressed from above as in the information given to you for you to pass on? Well to be honest with you um, I wouldn't have the knowledge in that area as well Unless it's given to me, and, and uh, you know, but I think it needs to be there needs to be more information, more education given to, given to the to all players. And I've no doubt that that will happen now as a result of Thomas. But unfortunately, Thomas is is uh, is, is paying a heavy price for it. Uh, there is a human cost, as you say, and that's the sad thing. And I suppose the key thing is, is for players and management to take the lessons from that. It's kind of a watershed moment. It's sad that it have to happen to one of your guys, but it was going to happen eventually, I guess. Well, that's right. And you know, uh, the way it is is that club players and everybody, from what I'm led to believe, everybody in the G is under the same umbrella, and ev- anybody can be tested. Um, I don't think club players can be. You check that one. Yeah, we'll a, check uh, it I, I, I don't think they do. Not, they probably can, but I don't think they do check testimonials. Uh, yeah, but but. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They aren't. They aren't being tested, but they can be. Okay. So there's there's nothing to say that there's there's no 
nobody in the GA who can't be tested and I, I don't think that everybody's aware of that and I don't think as well that, that right. certainly club players and, and generally amateur players aren't you know they're not uh, they're not educated enough t- to to know everything about, about in this area and so I think that it, it's going to have to be looked at Look, it's championship time. Let's talk about the championship. It's either Donegal or Derry in the final. You'll have a good look at them next week. Yeah, that's right. And uh, no matter who comes through, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough game for us. And as well as that, it's one that we know. We know we've got through two rounds, but we know that you know we haven't played as as as, as well as as we need to if we're going to win the final. So, but you know that's with four weeks to try and improve all areas of our game. And uh, hopefully, if we do that, we'll give ourselves a fighting chance. Okay, I appreciate you talking to me. I know it's not kind of the ideal questions you want to be answering and I appreciate your honesty thank you Hi, thanks this is the Rewind on News Talk and that's Monaghan manager Maliki O'Rourke on their win over Fermanagh soon we'll hear from Oshie McConville on next week's semi-final between Derry and Donegal first though let's hear from ex-All-Star with Monaghan Nudie Hughes who assessed Monaghan's victory over Fermanagh the subs that they were emptying onto the field was making a big difference and there's, there's no question you could see the possession and the boys the hunger the boys in the field the fact they get the three Ulster, Ulster finals the first time since 1920 yeah. so that like, these players a lot of, there's five of these players you probably won't see in the jersey next year so they're going to give it their all and you could see the, the anxiousness of them but the possession that they were winning at the field they were converted into scores we'll get to some of those players that you mentioned there in a moment but Conor McManus think it was 1-6 in the end uh, five points from freeze and, and a fantastically taken point from play and a good goal as well ran in one on one with the keeper having received a very good ball Monaghan worked it well as they had done at times in this game Tracy made the initial save but McManus didn't give up and he kind of swept the loose ball home Well Connor is one of the top forwards in the country now and he was converting all his chances today and he got very few from play because he was well marshalled in fairness by Marty Bryan but the one good thing about him he, he's not afraid to shoot if he hits a bad one he'll go the next time but without doubt he's one of the top forwards finishing with 1-6 again he is a high scoring performance but the great thing about the day when he was marshalled well the first half he st- the rest of the players stood up did other players as I was, you just mentioned there stand up enough for you like Kieran Hughes kicked two points uh, from play one from a free Paul Finlay came on he was named in the starting 15 didn't actually start um, Owen, Owen Duffy when he came, out, came in impressed as well yes, and, and Stephen Golligy came in who was a very effective player scored a great point uh, could have had a goal he shot earlier but you, you highlight Kieran Hughes is stepping up to the mark there's no question he has the ability and he really he scored the point in the first half really miraculous point swung on to his left then on to the right and put it over the bar but those players are, are standing up the mark they have to now because either defenders now particularly in the Donegal sense we all thinking that it's going to be Donegal the player their defence the McGee brothers uh, Doherty they're all McGrath in the back yeah. they're all experienced defenders and they know if they get a chance Conor McMahon is going to be closed down as he was today these players took the chance now in the second half and they show 113 from player a 113 in the second half this is the rewind on News Talk and that was Nudie Hughes three time Ulster Championship winner with Monaghan back to the Ulster Championship in a few moments but first let's go to Connacht and Sligo came up with somewhat of a surprise on Saturday night beating Roscommon at Markovic Park 114 to 13 points the final score the analysis of James Horan and Anthony Moyles to come but first here's Sligo boss Niall Carew and Rossi's manager John Evans. Uh, it didn't quite happen. It didn't happen at all. Um, look, um, I think we started very sluggishly and uh, we just didn't get into the tempo of the game. And a really, really hungry Sligo team, uh, you know, they, they took to the hit the ground running, tackled everything, and really, really uh, dispossessed our guys at vital times in the in the in the first half and that first quarter, I think. And 
on top of that we, we, we fumbled a lot of ball and I think we, we, we turned over the ball uh, quite a few times Sligo on, on, their, on their part they chased everything they foraged they, they made things happen whereas we slightly waited for things to happen and we were playing a nice ball and waiting for the, the break and they picked up breaks and even a ball, good ball that was put into our forwards they got a hand in it and they made it very difficult for our guys so you're perfectly right yes they 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 attacked the ball, they attacked the game and uh, you know I, I've said this several times that uh, there's a friend of mine there, um, Mikko De Weyer, he used to always say if you win a, um, a league and if you win a, get a cup and uh, we have two cups even though we did put them into the bag and did hide them and did put them away I think it softened our, 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 our approach maybe somewhat even though we try to protect that yeah. um, but uh, not taking away a thing from Sligo. Though. To me, that they, they, they deserve what they got out there. They put in a, a huge effort. Marin steps up. Oh, he's rolled at home. A cracker of a goal from Marin. And it's Sligo 1-6. Roscommon 5 points. Connacht semi-final on. Roscommon were very heavy favourites for this. A lot of people talked them up, including they themselves. Was that an effect? Did Laz talk about that or... Was it was it was it any kind of um, anything to do with your preparation? Oh well, look, it was a great motivation thing, obviously. Uh, but uh, you know, our lads—they're a confident bunch, you know. And there's seven or eight of them lads with Connacht medals, um, slide up there. So a lot of people forget that. And uh, so look, um, it wasn't a massive motivation thing. We knew we had to put in our own performance to get a result. And luckily, we did that today. Mayo in the Connacht final. Yeah, massive step, another step up again. And but a game like this will bring us on. Um, and um, but we will have to step it up every time you're you're going into Champions League now. This is completely different territory. Uh, Mayo are a hard driven team. They're going for five in a row. They're the Dublin and Leinster, you know. Um, they're, and I think they're that good. Um, so we will really have to step it up uh, to beat them. But I, I think it's in us. Uh, but again, it's going to have to take a massive performance, you know. Throws the full-time whistle and Sligo have caused a shock. They have beaten Roscommon in the Connacht semi-final. The final score: Sligo 114, Roscommon 13 points. They'll play Mayo in the Connacht final. No, take away the emotion of a great, you know, a great win and a great occasion for Sligo here. They were simply a better team. Yeah, they were better organised. They looked like they knew what they were doing. They had a definite game plan. Were, were Pat Hughes and, and David Kelly inside? The quality of the ball in wasn't the best at times, but they got it in because they know they know they're good ball winners. They fed off them. Mark Brandy got on the ball. Adrian Marin got on the ball. And they used their key men. And their key men stood up when a little bit of pressure came on. Where Roscommon looked like they were coming into it. And Sligo just all over the field. Their debutants uh, did well in the middle of the field. You know, you had Keane Brandy there and you had Nightmare who, who were excellent throughout the game. But up front, you know, you know, the guys that kept showing and showing and giving outlet all the time. But to, to, to wrap it up into a, into a nutshell, defensively, when Roscommon did try to come at them time and time again, there was hit after hit after tackle, yeah. the discipline stayed strong, there was turnovers, the ball was spilled, and nine times out of ten, a Sligo man got on that ball and drove out. And for me, that was the difference. They were just in a better place, prepared for it, and ready to give everything they had for the, for the cause, and, and that, that's what won out on there. And the worry with, you know, when you're bringing a team like that, for Carew was your head 
all of a sudden Roscommon and get a bit of a run at your defence just you know instead of instead of just standing up a guy you throw in an arm and all of a sudden you hit a guy and it goes down and the referee will always be a little bit lenient towards the team and maybe a free and all of a sudden a bit of momentum gets they weren't the discipline was absolutely fantastic it was phenomenal like I mean they, they hunted in packs there was a cameo there which we said where two men came out and jumped at the foot of the Roscommon man blocked the ball it spilled again and another man came out and forced the ball wide and we didn't see that was common if you look at the Sligo scores a lot of them were actually they weren't even under that much pressure they were tapping over the ball you know defence Roscommon wise I thought the defence was very poor um, you know from, from a defensive point of view I thought it was very poor didn't know what it was at was getting very little help from its half back and its midfielders um, whereas the midfielders for Sligo especially Murphy he was back in there doubling up on players continuously and forcing Roscommon the, the supposed you know better Roscommon full forward line to shoot under pressure um, and look there's a big difference between going up to Crow Park in the league final and playing down here in the first round of the, or, or the, you know the, the, the semi-final of the championship Absolutely. And, and, and you know you can't ask the question you know what? where are Roscommon now um, where are they you know what's how good are, are this team we, we know they've good players uh, you know they won division two but but you know what's where are they going after this there's going to be a lot of questions because they were absolutely played off the park tonight by a Division 3 team lucky to be in Division 3 and um, simply the better team Ross Common heads weren't, weren't, weren't in the game tonight James Horan and Anthony Moyles who were part of the off the ball commentary team for Sligo's win over Ross Common in Markovic Park on Saturday night also uh, you heard from John Evans the Rossies manager and Sligo boss Niall Carew Ross Common meeting Cavan in the qualifiers the weekend after next. Now, there's one big game in the Ulster Championship next weekend as Donegal take on Derry on Saturday night in Clonus. On Saturday afternoon, there's a big game involving an Ulster side as Armagh host Wicklow in the qualifiers. On Sunday, Croke Park hosts a Leinster semi-final doubleheader as Westmead take on Mead and Dublin face Kildare. The Westmead a Mead game, by the way, is live and off the ball. Now, before we hear from Oisín McConville on the Ulster semi-final and indeed the Kildare-Dublin game, uh, let's hear from former Westmead and Offaly player PJ Ward speaking to Midlands 103 about the clash of Westmead and Mead. The big thing that's going around all week is the hoodoo of, of, of Mead over Westmead in the Championship, you know, and it's, I suppose it's really stemming from 2000, 2001 and, and so forth. But, you know, like, again, this is a fresh this is a fresh crop of players, you know, a lot of them have beaten Mead and minor and under-21 levels, so they have not really to be a f- fear, you know, if they go out and express themselves. And I hope that Tom doesn't, go and look at the league performance and get too caught up in that mm. you know like Westmead got caught badly that, that night you know by just leaving their centre wide open you know like um, I think if Westmead keep, keep to the style of football that they've played again loud and again Wexford they're in with a great chance on, the, in, on Sunday Former Offaly Westmead and indeed New York footballer PJ Ward on the clash of Mead and Westmead in the Leinster semi-final next Sunday in Crow Park that match is actually live on Off the Ball uh, Let's talk with Oshie McConville now about the other game on that double header bill uh, that's Kildare against Dublin we'll also chat to him about our man Wicklow in the qualifiers but first Donegal and Derry in the Ulster semi-final on Saturday night I put it to the former All-Ireland winner with Armagh and Cross McGlain that Donegal are not just a defensive team they've actually been quite impressive all around this season so far yeah I think they have and I think the other thing about it is that it's fi- I think it's fine playing defensive football if you know how to play it I think there's a lot of teams who are trying to copy their system out there and are just not capable of it They've changed things up a lot this year. I mean, in the first half against Armagh, uh, Gallagher, McNeilis, Murphy, Toy, 
they all ended up in that full forward position at some stage during that game and uh, he just has a great ability mixing it up you can see the the actual confusion and the panic that that causes that the likes of Neil Gallagher standing on the edge of the square and next thing you know there's a ball coming in on top of him McBrady is, has uh, really found his feet as a natural corner forward which is, all, which is what he's always been and as a result of that they've taken McFadden out in the middle of the field and he's looked I know he didn't play against Armagh but he's looked you know, rejuvenated by that and Rory Gallagher has been very sensible in that uh, he didn't change a lot because managers, new managers when they come in like to change things because they want to put their own stamp on it and I suppose Rory Gallagher has resisted that temptation in many ways but he has changed up a few little different things within the team and they look as if they're fresh which I don't think they have done I don't think they've trained as hard as they, as they have done over this past couple of years and I think there's a very relaxed uh, there's a very relaxed attitude towards it. I was walking with Martin McHugh actually on the on the Armagh game, and before the game he said he was worried because their warm up was so relaxed. But that's the way they played as well. They played, you know, relaxed. They played with intensity and and they played with a bit of fire in the belly and they played with no little skill. But they did play relaxed. They looked like a team who knew exactly what they were about and exact what they were going to do exactly in order to carry out their their plan. Everything went right for Tony Gold, they made it go right, but everything seemed to go wrong for Armagh. Now they have Wicklow in the qualifiers at home. It's a winnable game, even though Wicklow had a very good performance against Meath. What did they need to do in this game that they didn't in the last? Granted, against very different opposition. Well, I think it's, it's very simple for Armagh. I think you know all the things were in place. I said before the game that I thought they would be as well prepared as they have been in six or seven years. And physically, I think that is the case. Uh, I just think that mentally they forgot about playing football. I think they were so wrapped up in what they actually had to do and carry out that they forgot to express themselves. And I use the, I'll use the Waterford analogy uh, when you look at them playing Harlan. They've got a plan, but they're able to express themselves as well. They're able to go out and they're able to play. And Arma, as players, didn't do that against Donegal. And they've got a chance, obviously, to, to rectify that. But it's a huge disappointment for people in Armagh, you know, for them to, to turn up and, and play the way they played. And, uh, you know, they are, as a team, they have a lot of soul-searching to do. And, and to to really pick any crumbs of confidence or, uh, I suppose, if they're going to gain any solace from what they've done over the last six months as far as preparation is concerned, it's going to take a, a couple of really good performances. And the thing about the Wicklow game is that Wicklow put 3-12 on on Meath and and at times looked quite dangerous and McGregor come on they looked fairly dangerous in the full forward lane as well it's a game we expect Armagh to win but if they go into it in any similar vein that they went into it against Donegal I mean you know it's, it, it is no words of Steve Staunton a potential banana skin Is it possible that, that Armagh can turn it around mm-hmm. and, and that they can change the style a little bit because I know players love to work under him. I know he's a former teammate of yours and a, and a guy you won in All Ireland with. But he doesn't strike me as the type for turning, Kieran McGinley. And you know he's quite intense, and maybe he's got his system, and that's that. And if you stray, you're off the team. So guys may be afraid to stray. Now that's me just looking at that from a, the complete outside, and only as a fan, not a guy who's played at a high level at all. Yeah, I think you know you're right in that he won't be for turning. You know they'll play the they'll play the same way, but. I just think that a lot of what Armagh would have planned for didn't actually happen the last day. And I think that's the thing that would be 
pretty annoying from Keir McGuinney's point of view. And let's be honest about it, you can manage all you want and you can prepare all you want, but you can't legislate for a performance like that. I mean, you can't legislate for somebody giving away a, a five-yard hand pass or not being capable of the basic skills of the game. And I think that's the thing that will upset Arma. The Horton, uh, and I know the Horton as a result of, of what happened against Donegal, and you just got to you got to try and turn it around. Is Wicklow going to be the game that's going to turn it around? Probably not, because people are going to say that they're going to should beat Wicklow anyway. Um, I think it's going to take a big scalp somewhere along the line. Arma did well last year to get to a quarter final, but the thing is, the thing one of the things is now, and it's been said lots of times. They played Division 3 football, they picked up a lot of bad habits in Division 3. Uh, they lost the last game of the league. They struggled to beat Fermanagh on two occasions. Uh, so maybe in in many ways, you know, this is where we're at. This is the level that we're at. And whereas you expect to beat Wicklow, you would, you would also expect that if they would come up against uh, another Division 1 team that they would really struggle against them. And, and that's, that's the key for, for these boys is to try and you know, find out exactly what's working for them over the next couple of weeks. But I don't care. At the end of the day, you have to go out and you have to express it and you still have to play football, regardless of what uh, the tactics are, what little nuances are, are, are Arma or Kieran have introduced the game. You can't legislate for players literally not playing. Back to the Ulster semi-final, Donegal against Derry. We've had a look at Derry in the championship uh, already. They, they They beat down. They weren't by any means convincing in that game and Down had a man sent off um, they play ultra defensively again you feel that they'd have to open up a little bit to beat Tony Cole but then obviously look if you open up you're exposing yourself a bit it's a, it's a hard one for Brian McIver to, to get right a former Tony Cole manager of course yeah the only thing is Brian McIver will know Tony Cole inside out uh, last year they played in the championship and uh, was it two years ago that they played in the championship and and Derry actually run Donegal quite close. Again, it was Michael Murphy more or less, you know, with a ten-minute cameo that got uh, Donegal over the line. But uh, I think the, th- the big, the big thing about that game, and I think it was 2013. Now, um, the big thing about that game was that physically, Derry were able to match them, especially around the middle of the field. Uh, I'm not quite sure that this Derry team is as good as, as as the Derry team was a couple of years ago, missing a few key factors. Uh, Owen Bradley being back is a major plus Keelan O'Boy come on in that game uh, and he's somebody who they will probably have to use in the edge of the square and maybe be a little bit more direct than, than the two teams that have played uh, Donegal have been so far because believe it or not you know, having watched the two games and watched them closely there is a little bit of room to, you know, in that, in that defence and, and uh, at times if you can counter attack quick enough there is holes in that Donegal defence but really and truly like for Brian McAver, he's going to match. I can tell you now that they'll match up exactly the way um, Donegal do. They'll play the exact same system as uh, more or less as Donegal do. But th- th- I think that's the thing that I've been saying all along is that you can match up and down did it a, a number of years ago, and we're almost there. They just didn't have the quality that, that Donegal had to, you know, to get them across the lane. Uh, and I think that's the thing, you know. Yeah, every day, every day I watch Donegal. There's somebody different stepping up to the mark. McBrady uh, was very good, and McFadden were very good against uh, Tyrone. McLean was very good against Tyrone. Lacey was good. Was good against Armagh. Morphy was good against Armagh. Neil Gallagher, good game. Ray McHugh had a good game. 
there's so many different players who are able to step up to the mark on different occasions. And for me, that's always the mark of a of a great team. And they're dangerous. You know, they look they look like a potent, dangerous threat when they, when whenever they go forward. Defensively, it goes without saying that they're solid. But that's because they get so many players back behind the ball. But you're gonna play if you're gonna beat Donegal, you have to play sensible football against them, and you have to be patient. And it's almost like a waiting game sometimes when you play Donegal. They'll outweigh you. You know, they'll uh, be more patient than you will, and I think that's, you know, when they'll really punish you. When you lose your patience, or you, you, you know, you give the ball away, or you try as a corner forward to do so because you've only touched the ball twice, that you try and do something really special. When you do get your hands on the ball, you get robbed. Confidence, you know, drains from you and drains from the team. They go up, kick a ball over the bar, and it's dejection, really. And it's, it's that time after time. And the thing about them is, as well is that they're so powerful around the middle of the field that if they're not winning three in clean possession, they win a lot of break, uh, a lot of break balls. So, I mean, they're a tough out- outfit to play against, regardless who you are. We'll get a look at another All-Ireland contender this weekend in the form of Dublin. They're up against Kildare. Do Kildare have the defensive intensity to, at the very least, keep the score down against Dublin or maybe even give them a game? Were they shown the way, perhaps, by Monaghan in that league semi-final, who, with Conor, McGinna- Con- Conor McManus on fire, almost... Almost snuck a victory. No, is a simple answer to that question. I think uh, Kildare uh, have probably gone back a little bit from where they were. Uh, the thing that worries me about about uh, about Kildare is that I just think physically all over the field they'll probably not be able to match Dublin. That's that's nothing. That's nothing new for teams who are coming up against Dublin to be out muscled, but. Uh, I think the big thing about about Kildare is that you know they haven't had a very good season. Uh, that will give them great heart that win over Leash. But you beat Leash and then you realise you're coming up against Dublin. We're talking about can they keep the score down? Is that what they're talking about? You know how do they realistically go into the game? How does Jason Ryan go into that dressing room and try and convince those players that they can realistically beat Dublin? And for me, is that the difficult thing for a manager in this situation and even a player because they'll say all the right things. But realistically, they must be thinking, we don't have a prayer in this game. Or do they? Does a player think like that? Honestly, I don't think players think like that. I think, you know, Kildare will genuinely feel, uh, Jason Ryan will genuinely feel, he can set his team up to cause Dublin problems. <laughs> can he realistically go into that change rooms and say that he'll beat them? He probably will say that, and the players will probably say that. But there's always a niggling thing in the back of your head as a player. If you really feel you're going into a game that you... That you prob- that you know you're probably not going to win. It's very very difficult, and it's such an important thing for Kildare. And actually, the last time Kildare played Dublin in the championship, they got a really good start against them. If you remember, they had a goal and a point after uh, two or three minutes, uh, and then Dublin completely took over and destroyed them. And, and you would have to think that that is a worse. This is a worse Kildare team than than that Kildare team from a number of years ago. So I think. Kildare have progressed big time and I don't think they'll be able to pull it up in any way, shape or form to Dublin. Just before I let you go, Kerry, we had a look at them a couple of weeks ago against uh, Tipperary. Eamon Fitzmaurice wasn't afraid to change things around. Um, are they very much still part of that top three grouping? Yeah, I think Donegal, uh, Dublin, Kerry in whatever order you wish. But I think the key, as you say, for Kerry is that they're able, Fitzmaurice is able to change it up Players are hungry. Like if if Kerry's going to win an All Ireland title, I think is it uh, one, two, three, four, five games? 
you know, they've already won one of those games under the belt. So, uh, you know, if they're going to win in All Ireland, five games. If Donegal is going to win, I think we're talking nine games. Uh, and I think you know that's the difference. I think Kerry would be fresh, uh, and I think players are genuinely playing for places. Because if you get your place with Kerry now, chances are you're going to see out the rest of the championship. So I think that's what 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 Eamon Fitzmaurice is trying to do: competition for places. And when you see the boys he had coming off the bench at the weekend, like it's. Uh, Scary. This is the Rewind on News Talk. I'm Oshin Langan, and that was Oshin McConville speaking at the Satanta Sports Sportsbook of the Year launch. Boxing now, and Andy Lee will fight Billy Joe Saunders in Thoman Park in Limerick on September 19th. It's the fight every boxing fan, and I would say every sports fan in Ireland, wanted to happen. Lee Mahern of Limerick's Live 95 is standing by. He's waiting to talk to us. First, though, let's hear from Andy Lee. He spoke to Off the Ball about this fight over the weekend. It is a dream come true, so. Like I said, it's, uh, once I get over the excitement of the fight taking place, I've got to get down to training and get ready for what will be a very hard fight. Yeah, it's three months away, um, pretty much mm-hmm. from yesterday. Uh, so uh, you've obviously known there was a fight coming around that date anyway. So uh, at what what point in the cycle are you at? Are you just kind of tipping over at the moment or are you... Are you eating like a pig? <laughs> no, I, I've kind of, I've had, uh, I've been, a, I had a couple of months off after the uh, fight with Quillen, um, due to an injury and due to just needing rest. Um, but I've been training pretty solidly now for the last couple of weeks and just building a foundation conditioning wise. Um, and it won't be, re- it'll be really like the last 12 weeks where I really, um, turn up the intensity and, and, and knuckle down. But, um, for the moment, I can still have the odd, the odd biscuit here and there. And uh, the the Quillen fight now with this distance, are there specific things you're going to work on as a result of that? Um, I think so, but it there were obviously there were mistakes in the Quillen fight, but and Quillen and Saunders are totally different. Couldn't be more different, really, in styles and and the approach I have to make in terms of fighting either one of them. Um, but there are certain lessons like I will learn, which will be not to look to trade heavy punches early. But with Quillen, he's a very heavy puncher, um, and that was a mistake I made. But with Saunders, he's not as heavy puncher, but he brings a lot more um, skill and finesse, and will have to be a lot more agile and try to match his pace almost. Um, so it's a new, new challenge, and he's the number one contender, and it's a mandatory fight, so it's the best possible challenge out there for the fight. So you know, it's a, it's a great challenge for me personally and a great occasion for me what? as well. So. So that's what Andy Lee had to say to Off the Ball about the fight. Liam Ahern of Limerick's Live 95 joins us on the Rewind podcast. Liam, this is what the Treaty City has been waiting for. This is the fight that Andy Lee wanted and that the fans wanted. It certainly is, and it's the venue that Andy Lee wanted as well. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders and Andy Lee, a lot of uh, toing and froing over the last uh, number of months. And, and to be honest with you, immediately after uh, Andy had drawn with Peter Quillen in, in the dressing room in, in the Barclays Centre, he straight away said, I want to defend my title in Thurman Park. And uh, look, if we're 100% honest, we thought it, it was pie in the sky stuff that uh, Billy Joe Saunders and Andy Lee was going to be uh, in, in London. But fantastic news on, on Saturday when it was confirmed that it is going to be Thurman Park. It's, it's a dream come true for Andy Lee. And it's certainly got a lot of people talking down this side of the country. We had our hopes risen on Friday morning, but then they were dashed on Friday afternoon. I rang Thurman Park and they said, look, that's a leak of information. There's nothing confirmed. And when it comes to boxing, when someone tells you there's nothing confirmed, you kind of lose hope because boxing is such a sport where generally what you want to happen doesn't happen. But this has happened. So it's a real bonus. 
Yeah, and I think when Frank Warren issued the statement and said uh, that uh, media reports that the fight uh, venue has been confirmed were inaccurate, you know, a lot of people thought, all right, well, that's that's the end of it then. It's not going to be Thorman Park. And uh, being honest with you, I'm still kind of uh, half surprised that it's Thorman Park, if if the truth be told, because, you know, we're looking at somewhere in the region of about 20,000 of a capacity in Thorman Park. It was up against 40,000 Upton Park. So, from a, a financial point of view, you'd, you'd have imagined that Upton Park, from a boxer's point of view, would have made more sense. But uh, Andy Lee really wanted Thorman Park, and this is going to be a huge, huge fight. There's no doubt about it. And uh, I think Andy wanted a high-profile fight to come to Limerick. He didn't want to bring just a, a journeyman in and get easy money off the uh, people of Limerick. He wanted a world title fight that meant something to him, and it doesn't get much bigger for him than the Billy Joe Saunders fight. The conditions might not be favourable. A Limerick night in September, you just don't know, do you? Yeah, and, and you know Thomond Park as well is probably the coldest uh, of all stadiums in, in the country. Even if it's 25 degrees, you're, you're still that big cold in Thomond Park. But look, it, it's, it's a gamble. There's no doubt about it. Um, the, the capacity, a lot of people are, are wondering what it's going to be. It's in around, going to be around 20,000. There'll be a lot of seating on the pitch itself. The two main stands quite a lot of that will be taken out of commission because they're going to have to uh, cover the ring and, and, and the cover of the ring is probably going to take a good lot of the two stands out of commission. So it, you're looking at a, a reduced capacity from that which would be in a, in a rugby stadium. But look, yeah, it, it's it's a gamble. There's no doubt about it because the weather in Limerick, uh, if anybody that saw Angela's ashes, it, it rains nine times six of the seven days of the week down here but it's a gamble hopefully it'll work out i think it will certainly look regardless of weather and regardless of how cold or how warm it is on the night there's going to be a huge huge atmosphere there and everybody in limerick has been talking about it since saturday and and everybody's looking forward to it already he's very much limerick's son andy lee but it's easy to love a world title holder um what level of support has andy had over the years in Limerick because it's such it's, it's a weird thing Liam you know yourself it's such a small country but the parts of it are so so different so give us an indication as to what the Andy Lee love level is in Limerick and has been over the years even when it looked like you know he might go through his career without winning a world title and you know it did look at one stage like that chance might have been gone it certainly did. Look, he, he fought two fights here in Limerick. Uh, I remember that the first one was back in, uh, I think, the, the 1st or 2nd of February, back in 2008, and that was the first time he had fought in Limerick. It was in the University of uh, Limerick Arena. There was, uh, I think, two and a half, three thousand people at that, and probably could have sold equal amounts again. Uh, he fought again in, in UL another night, and, and there was the same crowd, and they were against with all greatest respects, mediocre opponents. And it was just one of those fights where it was just a case of, of getting an opponent to fight Andy Lee and, and come in. And, 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 you know, it wasn't the most glamorous of fights, but he sold all of that out. And I think when he became world champion, uh, you know, because everybody in, in Ireland is, is kind of sceptical about everybody, really, if the truth be told. You know, you, you're told that this fella can be world champion, and Manny Stewart uh, told us for, for years and years, uh, God rest Manny Stewart, now the, uh, the, the Andy's original coach, he always said Andy Lee is going to become world champion. When he lost the fight in Texas, everybody said, well, that's the end of it now from Andy's point of view. He'll never become world champion. But yet, the, the, when he did become world champion, the homecoming he received kind of, I'd say even in Andy's own mind, uh, kind of went, well, this is actually a bigger deal than I thought it was. Because you, you, 
you know, boxing can be that kind of a sport where everybody can get in behind it. But it's not too many that would uh, turn out to a homecoming on a wet December night uh, when Andy did come out and, and it was pouring rain. And I'll never forget it in City Hall. There was about two and a half, three thousand people there for Andy's homecoming. And I think that night himself and Adam Booth kind of went, you know what, Limerick might actually work as a boxing venue because if that kind of a crowd turns out for a homecoming, of a of a world champion on a, on a rainy night when it was pouring rain and it was freezing cold. It was Christmas week. A lot of people were out doing Christmas shopping and they saw the support there is there for Andy. And it's just kind of increased since. I mean, uh, I was over in America to, to cover the uh, fight where he had the non-title fight as it turned out to be. And the interest that was in it back here at home was just unbelievable. I, I couldn't get over it myself. I, I think his popularity has grown Limerick people always like to support winning people and winning teams. And uh, I think uh, Andy Lee is one of those winners now that people just want to get behind. Lee Mahern of Live 95 FM in Limerick. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, Oshin. This is the Rewind Sports Podcast on Newstalk. You can get us on Monday Rewind at Newstalk.com. Delighted to say Joe Malloy of Golf Weekly and Off the Ball is in with us. Joe, how are you? Hello. It's good to be rewinding with you. Um... Do you say that on the Rewind podcast? We do now. Okay. That might catch on. Let's do some rewinding. Hashtag rewinding. Yeah. Um, I was listening to you and Jura and Adrian and and, and Karen McGinty and various others across the weekend and Peter Laurie because I was driving all over the country and I couldn't get a sense of whether or not you guys were actually enjoying the US Open (laughs) at Chambers Bay. It was kind of confusing. You were were certainly intrigued, but I'm not sure enjoying was the right word. Um, Yeah. I definitely enjoyed it. I found the course very frustrating. The, the Some of the tee shots, to an extent, I could kind of live with. Like, there's an awful one on 16 where you hit very good drives and invariably your ball just rolls sideways down a fairway into a bunker, which seemed terribly unfair and, and frustrated a lot of players. And there were one or two instances, even last night, where good shots would be an inch wrong and the punishment would be too much they would end up 50 yards away from the hole so I kind of fell out of love with that a little bit but I could live with it what really frustrated me and I couldn't just kind of pass off was were the greens because they were so awful like really terrible bobbly greens and you could tell it was infecting the players minds and if you want the boring technical reason for all of 20 seconds here you know what I heard this and I can't believe I'm about to say (laughs) go for it again tell me again okay this is the third time I've said this into a microphone which is actually kind of worrying so essentially they have two types of grass mixed in they have fescue grass which is what we have here in Ireland and they have the poana grass which uh, grows like lightning Uh, Carl McGinty said yesterday if you put it on a moon the moon would be covered in the stuff and so they have this these two different grasses which grow at different speeds knitted in together. So over the course of the day, the poana is shooting up, the fescue is growing slowly, and it makes for very, very bobbly, awful greens. Now, all of that said, so I found it a bit frustrating, but did it ruin my enjoyment of it? No, because one, we got the leaderboard from heaven. It was a sensational leaderboard. Like Charles Warshall said at the start of the week, there could be a lucky winner here. With all these quirks and all these bounces and all these bobbles, we might have a lucky winner. But you look at the leaderboard and it's so full of pedigree. It's clearly not luck, which has got these guys there. And then um, you've got me in the in the kind of 
throes and the immediate flush of excitement of having just watched it because I fell asleep last night and I knew I would so I recorded it turned off all electrical appliances phones everything off that's why I didn't write back to your text incidentally and I got up this morning and I watched the last two hours of it so I've just seen I've literally just seen Dustin Johnson three put on the 18th and Jordan Spieth has won the US Open it was unbelievable well, that, that's actually the reason so that no one responds to my texts from the off-the-ball team because they obviously all shut off their devices all the time because no one ever gets back. I'm glad there's a reason. Yeah. Um, Dustin Johnson, did yeah. he throw it away? Yeah. Oh, man. Like, Dustin Johnson has done something very stupid the three other times he's got into contention in majors. So I was waiting to see would he do something stupid yesterday, this morning for me. And he did. The back nine was car crash stuff. And he'd thrown it away. And Jordan Spieth was two shots clear. And then Spieth goes in double bogeys. And you're thinking, like, it was one of the best, the best hours of golf television I've, I've seen. I can't think of the last major, which was as good. You're maybe going back to Tiger winning on and his was, broken leg. And was this because of nerves from the two players and what was at stake? Or was it just down to the course? A bit of everything, I guess. It's very hard to know for sure until you talk to them. Like, Spieth only put one foot wrong, really. He flared a shot up and it cost him a double bogey. So it's one mistake. It's a horrific shot. But he responded beautifully then on 18 to get a birdie to ask the question of Dustin Johnson. And then Johnson, like, he got himself back into it. And he's on the 18th and he needs a birdie on a par 5. And he's 247 yards and he hits a beautiful shot. So that's not nerves. That's like he's executed a brilliant shot there from 247 yards to give himself 12 feet for eagle to win the US Open. He misses that. He takes an age over it. You're thinking, this is not good. So now he's got a birdie put from about four feet to take it to a playoff, which would have been on today over 18 holes. And I don't know, I guess it's nerves because he would not have treated a four-foot put in the first round on a Thursday the same way. He took an age over it, called in his caddy. Like, without being rude to the guy, Justin Johnson's not the brightest it's common knowledge. Yeah. He's just not a smart guy. He's a bit He's a bit dim. He's a bit yeah. of an empty vessel. And I don't think he has like processes. You know when you're under the severest pressure? Expert yeah. juiced amnesia is what it's called when you choke, apparently the experts tell me. So the players all have processes. Essentially you forget what got you to that yeah. point in the first place. All the best free takers, for example, go through the exact same routine. Johnny Wilkinson, exact same routine taking yeah. a kick. Johnny Sexton has talked about this. He's talked about getting into a routine and settling on it. Yeah. Because otherwise you try and take control of the process too much and you get jittery. And so you you have your mental process to almost insulate you from the nerves, I guess. And Johnson did not go through any kind of process. I'm not even sure if he has one on the greens. Like, he's just not that character. Harrington would have a process. Certain players would have a process. Yeah. He doesn't. And he steps up. And for four feet to stay in the US Open, to take it to a playoff today, he just he just misses. And that's now the fourth time in contention that Johnson has missed like he's so bloody brilliant he will win a major eventually because you just can't be that good off the tee and with clubs in your hand on the fairway not to win even if your putting's not up to scratch but like it's a real blow like he's yeah. walking off and that's that's a painful one and then suddenly like the big story is we have a 21 year old who's won two majors this is a scary time what, what do you take from this if you're Rory McIlroy um, I got a rival yeah. <laughs> uh, like they say about Jack Nicholas. Nicholas always just hung around, you know. He hung around on the eighth, or on the on the Sunday of a major, around the leaderboard, and waited for other people to make mistakes. They're they're likening speed to him, in that sense. Like the kid just has balls. Like Shane Lowry said at the Masters, if his balls were any bigger, he wouldn't be able to wear trousers. 
which was a good line. Such an awfully man thing to say. <laughs> um, so ballsy. Like, not the biggest hitter, but big enough. Yeah. And really smart player. Like, speed doesn't top all the categories, right? But he just, if there was a category for thinking and plotting and smarts, like, Nicholas probably had that. Woods yeah. definitely had it. Then speed is right up there. Like, his yeah. brain for the game for a guy of his age is amazing. And then the creme de la creme, the, the cherry on the icing on the cake is, to use Colin Burns' words, Ernie Els' caddy, and he's seen some golf in his time, uh, Jordan Spieth is the most phenomenal putter I've ever seen. Wow. And he's seen Tiger Woods. And he's seen all the guys yeah. at their best. And he said, Jordan Spieth is the most phenomenal putter I've ever seen. And he had a line when he was speaking to us. He said, if you watch Speed playing, some guys take putts and it never looks like it's threatening the hole. It's like, oh, okay, that's, that's just missed. And they, they realise very early. He said with Speed, even when he misses, as a viewer, right up until the last second, you know it has a chance of going in. Yeah. He's always threatening the hole. So what's Rory thinking? Um, he's thinking I'm still the best player in the world. He's thinking I'm still the guy, T. De Green, who's the best. He's thinking St. Andrews could be good to me. He's thinking whistling straights where the USPGA will be on will be really good to me. They'll suit me. But uh, this kid will just be nagging me all the way. And if I'm not 100% on my game, he'll Spieth will be more consistent than McElroy. Like he could conceivably challenge him in terms of number of majors winning because McElroy will have really bad days. Yeah. Spieth doesn't tend to have bad days. Like he's... He's great, he's frightening. And he's kind of cursing his whole way through. He's like, bah, 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 bah. you know, what the hell? You know, he's brilliant yeah. that he's mic'd up because he's just, he's like moaning the whole way through the round. What the hell was that? Yeah. But like, he's he's loving it. You know what I mean? You know when you're you're kind of in that zone where you're like giving out about everything, you're so hyped up and yet on a, on a deeper level, you're just loving it. Like he's loving it. He's not a, in the way that Johnson, we just talked about, was afraid of that four footer and was afraid of the situation Speed doesn't seem to be afraid of it at all in some ways this has been Shane Lowry's tournament yeah. just from, from an Irish supporter's point of view went into the last day with a chance not a great final round but only five off the uh, hmm. only five off the lead at the end level par along with uh, Rory McIlroy well we all really like him because um, yeah. he's a good guy and he's a good guy off microphone which is not true of all of them yeah. um, but let's not talk about Darren Clark uh, no, uh, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a good Let guy. Go, you McIntyre, <laughs> honestly. So Shane's been a funny one in that, like, he burst onto the scene. I remember listening to you commentating on it actually all those years ago in Baltray, and you thought, "Wow, this could be." Let's see what happens next. And it's been, it's been. I don't want to say slow is progress, but it's been gradual. Like he took an age to get into the world's top fifty. Too long. Yeah. And you know. He hasn't won maybe, he could have won another two or three tournaments on the European Tour perhaps. But now in the last year, we're seeing a guy who's just like, just growing in confidence. He's one of the best chippers in the world. He's a super putter. He's long enough off the tee. He had some stunning irons yesterday. And with St. Andrews ahead, he loves St. Andrews. Anytime he's played there, he played, he's played really well. Like, without, you don't want to put pressure on the guy, but really as an each way bet already, check Shane Larry's odds for St. Andrews because the British Open there will suit him beautifully and he loves the atmosphere as well. He seems to enjoy the pressure. So yeah, it's great. Like he's, he's nailing down his position in the world's top 50. He's on course to get his PGA Tour card now, which means he'll be full-time over in America. We won't see him as much in the European Tour. But then again, we all watch more American golf in the evenings anyway. So uh, that'll be good. So yeah, really good turn- tournament for him. I think he's a guy, like, there's some guys like Patrick Reed who just had bulletproof confidence this, as soon as they got on tour. I think Larry, maybe partially because he's such a nice guy, hasn't realised how good he is. 
and almost needs to do really well at the US. So he needs to be on the flight home today going, wow, I was like top 10 at the US Open. Yeah. I'm really good. I should swagger around a bit more. And hopefully, I think he will. He's been in Germany this week and then on to the British Open. One thing that Raf Diallo, the producer of The Rewind, wanted me to ask you is the top five players in the world at the moment. Who do you think they are? It might be a bit of a, a tough one to just throw at you, given that okay. you've only literally watched the end of the US Open and maybe there's a bit of an emotional reaction as well as... Yeah, there is a recency yeah. bias, I suppose. Um, golf, I, I, I will, I'll I'll give some kind of answer, but but um, the, the kind of asterisks being golf is so contingent on the courses that they're playing. Mm. Like there's certain courses that McElroy is unbeatable, you know. And there's certain courses where McElroy, like Royal County Down, you're not so sure. But if I had to give you, I mean, I don't think the rankings are a million miles off. I haven't looked at them this morning. Yeah. But Rory McElroy won. You kind of have to say Jordan Speed two now. I wouldn't have said two before this weekend, but you, you, you have to say two now. Dustin Johnson's still three. The guy's a machine. Yeah. The guy's a machine. He might He might need to kind of work on some things under pressure, but he's definitely three. Mm, mm, mm. Jason Day is maybe four and then you might throw in oh it's tough then like there's there's like Ricky Fowler who's had a terrible tournament and there's Stenson who can be very good Adam Scott with Steve Williams on the back Uh, I think the fact that you have to think about it so much kind of says how tight it is doesn't it unbelievably dense like golf has never been tougher it was tougher before Woods' day Way tougher. Like, Woods' 14 majors are better than Nicholas's 18. Yeah. I think a lot of people would, would accept that because... And, and now, even now, com- in comparison to when Woods came on the scene, really, in 97, it's denser than ever. Any of these guys can win. They're all unbelievable. Like, there's 100 guys there and there's there's millimetres between them. It's it's frightening how dense golf is. I'd never bet on golf. You're a fool if you bet on golf. <laughs> it, it, the, the margins are too fine. And literally, guys... Like, Brandon Grace. Yeah. Brandon Grace should have won last night if he hadn't made a mess of things on the 16th he's never won a major before yeah. M- would, would you pick Brandon Race out of a lineup? a lot of people no. probably not he's won a couple of times in the European Tour he's that good so yeah it's super dense which makes like what Spieth has done even more extraordinary OK Joe Malloy presenter of Off The Ball and the Golf Weekly podcast thanks for joining us on the Rewind I know it's a busy time you're preparing for the show tonight so I do appreciate What's your time What's preparation? Uh, it's what the researchers do for oh, you Oh ok those sheets they hand me that I read yes. off verbatim oh I yes. see ok yeah yeah Okay, thanks for coming in. Cheers, bud. Well, that's it for The Rewind this week. Don't forget, to next Saturday on Off The Ball, we've got Armagh and Wicklow live in the qualifiers. And on Sunday, it's Meath against Westmeath. We'll also have rolling coverage of Kildare against Dublin. We're back next Monday. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. The Monday Rewind. <laughs>